Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Here we are, guys. If this sort of style isn't your cup of tea, I've got good news. It's the last week <laughs> of the three that we're doing it. So we've, over the past three weeks, including this week, been looking at the Trinity. We've looked at God the Father, God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit. Probably we've spoken before a bit of a... Um, confusing situation when you call the Holy Spirit the third Godhead of the Trinity because the Holy Spirit, first one to pop up in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, he is right there in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Yeah. Uh, so today's plan is a bit like last week. We're going to kind of introduce the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at how he is presented throughout the Old Testament and sort of probably perhaps challenge some misguided beliefs that we have. Think of all the members of the Trinity. We're probably all guilty of saying the Holy Spirit isn't it. I think I actually, when we we're chatting about this, I, even I slipped in that language. It, like, oh man, he, he, mm. it's personal. It's hard. When you have a title, it's easy to go it. But today, if the one thing you can take away from today is mm. the Holy Spirit is a person. So we imagine that there are probably lots of questions that you might have about the Holy Spirit today. So we'd encourage you once again to use the QR code. We'd love to yeah, invite you into this conversation. Uh, we may not have a chance to answer all of the questions today, but we will definitely address any that don't get answered if there are some in our podcast later in the week. But Mitch, when we sort of talk about the Holy Spirit, we obviously can see it throughout the... See? There I go. It's <laughs> him. See him throughout the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we see a very clear representation of the Holy Spirit as a part of the Trinity in mm. Jesus' baptism. Do you want to talk a bit about yeah. that? Yeah. So this is actually great ammunition. If you have someone who says, well, there's no Trinity in the Bible. Well, that's true. The word Trinity never appears. But we see at this moment when Jesus baptized, we see all three persons of the Trinity. Obviously, it's Jesus who's being baptized. It's the Father who's speaking. This is my beloved Son. And it's Jesus there. And so it's the first time in Scripture where you can point to God being one God, but three mm. persons. And so in the Old Testament, we looked at, say, that passage in creation where it said, let us make man our image. That's not a proof text. God is a trinity, but it's a hint. But here is a moment where you have proof. Here is God, three persons. And it's that moment where we really see the Holy Spirit mm. playing a huge role in Jesus' ministry and salvation. So for those of you who may not be um, as familiar with the passage, this is when Jesus is baptised by John the Baptist and we hear the Father's voice from heaven that says, this is my son uh, who I'm well pleased with. And then there is also the Holy Spirit who descends like a dove. So this is this idea that at the same time, all three members of the Trinity are revealing themselves. And this is why in previous weeks we've spoken about these certain heresies that we can have around the Trinity, mm. such as modalism, which is the Trinity can only exist in one form at one time. Um, and this sort of proves that incorrect, that the Trinity right here is existing as all three parts at the same time. Mm. So in all of this, why is it that the Holy Spirit can sort of be the forgotten part of the Trinity, the forgotten member yeah. of the Trinity? I think because our language, Father and Son, we can process that, yeah. Um, we may not understand how that relationship works, but the idea of a father, like, okay, I know what an earthly father looks like. I know what a son looks like, but 
What does a Holy Spirit look like? What does a Spirit look like? And particularly to a lot of the language Jesus uses for prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, where Jesus tells, hey, pray in my name. There's not many times in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is the direct part of God to pray to. And so we probably know subconsciously, okay, yeah, God's Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. And unless you're sort of from that real charismatic tradition, oftentimes we don't think of this, we don't really think of the Spirit. It becomes the forgotten part yeah. of the Trinity. Yeah, so, so say we want to make him the, yeah, the invite remembered him part. In. <laughs> invite, invite him back <laughs> invite in society in. in our own heads. Mm. And so, yeah, I think this idea of we can see this uh, role of son being relational, this role of father being relational. But why do you think it is that we have this misunderstanding that the Holy Spirit is impersonal? I think some of the perhaps some of the language of Scripture. So. We can go to the next couple of slides. Thanks. I think it might be slide five. Uh, yep. I'll keep going along. And next one. Oh. So here we go. Here's a great one. This is Jesus. So it's Jesus before he ascends to heaven. He says to his um, disciples there, he says, um, yeah, I'm going to send um, what my father's promised and you'll stay in the city too. You've been clothed with power on high. Mm-hmm. And then at Pentecost, the, the Spirit's described as like this rushing wing, tons of fire. We can have this perception that the Holy Spirit is like the Force. Now, if you know Star Wars, the the Force is sort of the the power that binds Mm. Jedi and Sith, Mm. and you can call upon the Force, but the Force isn't a real person. And so perhaps language like that, when Jesus says power from high, I think, okay, the Spirit's just this power that enables us to do things. Mm. But actually, see, if we look at the next slide, there are times where... The Spirit speaks. In the book of Acts, the Spirit directly speaks to different people. And here's just one example that we got. I, I had too many, didn't I? We had to cut, had to back. cut them down <laughs> just for <laughs> your sake. <laughs> uh, but one here, like this, the Spirit, we're told he directly told Philip, and Philip was an evangelist in the early church, go to that chariot and stay near it. This is a moment where the Spirit himself is directing and guiding Philip into ministry. And another... Really cool point. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is um, what they call the Upper Room Discourse. This is where Jesus is giving his final words to his disciples. And then John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now, here's a cool little thing in Greek. So that English word another is in Greek called alos. And alos means the same thing of the similar substance. So the implication here is Jesus is the first helper. In fact, that word we translate helper, it's a difficult one, paracleto. It's like helper, comforter, advocate. So all these things rolled in one. Jesus saying, I'm going to send another of the same. Mm. I, I am the first helper, so I'm going to send another to you. This is the spirit that's been promised. And if you read through the Bible, I have a whole bunch of notes here of Holy Spirit teaches. Holy Spirit speaks. We've seen that. Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit grieves, can be insulted, can be blasphemed. He encourages. He prevents ministry and he allows ministry. In fact, our temple, our bodies are called temples of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So that's probably the sh- biggest shift that mm. we need to make away from the Holy Spirit being this force-like power, this mm. it. To He's God. He's personable. He speaks. Mm. Yes, the Holy Spirit empowers us, but he's not impersonal. Mm. It's very personal. He is another. 
comforter, mm. another helper. Yeah. So it's this idea that the Holy Spirit is no less personable than Jesus, is no less relational mm. than God the Father. Mm. There is this equal, personable, relational part of the Trinity in the Holy yes. Spirit. And then, so we kind of alluded to this already, but there is this foundation of expectation of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. And it's something mm. which can be a little bit of a mind-opening thing when you start mm. to unpack some of the imagery that is used to describe the Spirit. One is Ruach, yes. which, you know, you can you can kind of get a bit of a on the back of that. Ruach. The Ruach. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, this idea of Ruach gives us a little bit more of an insight. It's not something necessarily that Jesus doesn't speak about. I think of his dialogue with uh, Nicodemus uh, speaking about the spirit as the wind. But what does the word Ruach as something which describes God's Holy Spirit uh, tell us about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, um, so Ruach, as I've got the translation there, in both Greek and Hebrew, can be translated as spirit, wind, breath, air, or breath. And so what's cool in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, is there's an interplay. It's sometimes you use the Ruach and we translate it as wind, sometimes it's breath, sometimes it's spirit. And in a way, it's meant to all be interconnected. Mm. Um, I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead, but everyone take a breath. Let's, let's take a breath in. That's Ruach. Mm. And what the Bible points to is the fact that we have breath. Who's that a gift from? From God. God breathes upon Adam to give life. And so even, even within the scripture, sometimes it's a wind it's talking about, but that wind's empowered by mm. God. Mm. And so the idea of this invisible power force mm. who's also personal. And the same there with Greek. The Greek word pneuma can be spirit, soul, wind, breath. Mm. There's a interesting interplay mm. that happens there. Yeah, there's a video from Father Richard Raw that was probably too long to play today, but he speaks about the beauty of Yahweh's name in the original Hebrew being the only two uh, letters in Hebrew which you can make without closing your lips or your teeth. And essentially the word Yahweh is and just even the very nature of God's name points towards this inspiration, this inspiration power mm. that is kind of even in our very first and last breath when we're born and when we die, we can't help but worship the yeah. name of God. And this idea of breath is in our very being and it's in, um, I suppose, introducing and inviting us into that relational aspect that mm. even when we're not aware of it, that mm. very life and breath is in him. Yeah. And so actually on the screen here, great example of the interplay of Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, Ruach, and there at the Exodus moment, a strong east Ruach blows. And there's this creation language there. So even though we translate it as wind, the ideas we're meant to see here is that just like a creation, when God's Spirit is hovering over the water, bringing life at that moment, the Red Sea, God's Spirit, God's wind is opening up the waters to bring life to the Israelites. So... There's some fun little facts there for you this morning. So Just a reminder, again, uh, inviting people in to ask questions. So we might, uh, uh, maybe not the best time to ask the projectionist to put up another slide. That's all right. Let's keep on Ooh. talking. We do have a question, which I think we might save for tomorrow, because again, it's a great one. How can we explain the Trinity to children in simple, accurate and meaningful ways? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a simple thought, just quickly though, would be uh, I personally have always found it really helpful to use those metaphors that are limited but also explain the limitations of them. Mm. So say, you know, the Trinity is like an egg 
but in the way that an egg, you know, a shell in and of itself isn't God, the fact that God is, the Holy Spirit is fully God, Jesus is fully God, the Father is fully God, this idea that the egg has a limited metaphor to it. Likewise with water, it is this idea that the Trinity does exist in three parts as liquid, solid and gas. But we don't want to go into modalist thinking, and I probably wouldn't be using that word for a child, but this idea that God actually exists in all three ways at, all, at the same time. So that's, what for me, what I've found the most helpful way when explaining the Trinity to students from Nepal who've never come into contact with the Bible, um, explaining helpful metaphors, but then the limitations of those. I think it's kind of beautiful that even metaphors, you know, God transcends them, mm. that God is too big for any one mm. perfect metaphor. Um, but, yeah, please continue to send in questions, and we'll, we'll explore that question a bit more mm. on Monday as we record banter. But we see that the Spirit is playing a really intrinsic role in creation in the very beginning. We said that he is the first part of the Trinity who is announced in Genesis, but he also plays an important role in Adam's creation. And so I already kind of looked at this, but what's significant is when Jesus is resurrected in John's account. And John's basically showing how Jesus is bringing a new creation. And there's a moment where Jesus is at the disciples and he says there in John 20, 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Mm. And Jesus there is riffing directly off that moment when Adam is there, just a lifeless clump of dirt. Fun fact, Adam means man, and Adam is formed from the Adama, the ground. So we are earth creatures. And without the breath, without the Ruach, Mm. we are lifeless, we are nothing. And so that's the importance there of that breath, that spirit imagery, that all of us as humans, we desperately need God's breath for life and for sustenance. Mm-hmm. And so scripture is going to pick up on that, this, this image of God's breath breathing onto Adam, the, 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 the dirt man, the earth man, <laughs> and how God's spirit will bring us new life throughout yeah, through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit obviously empowers not just human beings, but empowers the work that they do yes. in their ministry. We see this, such as in Deuteronomy 34. What's going on here with, with Joshua, son of Nun? Yeah, um, so Joshua, he's the successor of Moses. And in the Old Testament, key leaders were given the Spirit to empower them to accomplish a task. And so Moses here, and it's interesting in Scripture, there's always a laying of hands. Almost like this transfer of Mm. power Mm. and authority. And so when Moses does that with Joshua, lays his hands on him, Joshua is now prepared for ministry. Mm. And similar to there in the other passage we've got there, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel pours oil, he anoints David. And oil too was representative of the Spirit. And then at that moment, the Spirit comes powerfully upon Mm. David and David is now anointed. He is prepared for ministry. And as you read through the Old Testament, it happens numerous times. Basil, he's empowered with the Spirit to build the tabernacle. Pharaoh recognizes Joseph has the Spirit within him to interpret dreams. The judges, they get the Spirit, like Gideon and Samson, to um, accomplish their tasks, as well as the, the prophets. Mm-hmm. So we see time and time again that God's people are not just doing grand acts for his kingdom by their own strength, but they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then 
seeing that echoed when Jesus is baptized, inaugurating his ministry and seeing the Holy Spirit then come on him as well. Mm. And this idea is it's not just empowering us to do physical works, but also spiritual works on earth in even prophetic ways. And I think Micah 3.8 is sort of this interesting example mm. of how this works with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I love what it says here. I, but as for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. It says, recognizing that I have this power with me from God's spirit to accomplish the task that's set before me. And before you kind of think, oh, the spirit of the Lord is just a power impersonal, Nehemiah, who was... He came after the exile, so after the 70 years in Babylon and the exiles return and they're rebuilding Israel, Nehemiah recognizes and he says, by your spirit you warned them through the prophets. He's saying your spirit spoke, you spirit spoke to the prophets to warn us of the danger to come. Mm. And so we see that there, this, this great connection here of God's spirit being on the prophets, giving them the words to speak directly, mm. not as an impersonal force but as a person. So we see time and time again the Spirit is the enacting force of relationship mm. between God and humankind mm. in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes, he fixes maybe some limitations because of the mm. sin that's between humans and God. And what do we kind of see in Numbers 11 as this mm. problem that is faced that Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection yeah. then addresses and fixes? So the problem with the Spirit in the Old Testament is limited. It's limited to key people. And so this really interesting encounter in Numbers 11 where the 70 elders actually have the power of the Spirit come upon them and they start prophesying. And Joshua, he is really concerned because it's meant to be Moses. Moses is the one who's meant to prophesy. Moses is the one who communicates with Yahweh. And Moses' reply here, it's fascinating. He says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. That was Moses' heart. In a sense there, he's predicting what God was going to do through Jesus. Mm. That He recognizes, it's only me. I've got the Spirit. You've got the Spirit. A few others have the Spirit. I wish all of us had it. Because that means that we would have this deep connection with God, this understanding between mm. the human and divine relationship. Yeah. And the prophets predicted that that would change. As our yeah. next slide will show yeah, us. One of the most sort of famous prophecies around the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, um, Joel 2, 28 to 30, I might read it. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. So we see it's a pretty grand and powerful and all-encompassing uh, anointing of all people, not just certain men who have reached a certain age from a certain tribe, but all men, all women, young and old. And it's this idea that it is now made available to all people, which is pretty phenomenal. It is. And the one to do that, just like in all good Sunday school answers, the answer is either God or Jesus. The answer here is Jesus. And in Isaiah, we're introduced to the Messiah. Does anyone know what Messiah actually means? What's it a Hebrew? What's the Hebrew word Messiah mean? Anoint, anointed. No, anointed. That's what Christ means. So Christ means anointed. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah. That's a fun fact there. And so 
In Scripture, anyone who is anointed is a Messiah. And here we have the true anointed one. This shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And if you don't know, Jesse is King David's father. So we looked at that passage earlier where David's anointed with oil. Um, this branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of consul and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And Isaiah talks a lot about this anointed figure, this Messiah who will come to do these remarkable acts and bring his people back to God with this spirit-anointed power resting upon him. But what's interesting too about the spirit, as our next slide will show, is the spirit's not just about transforming the human heart. It's about bringing life, not only life to people, but life to creation. And some of you will be aware of Ezekiel's famous Valley of the Dry Bones um, vision where he sees the bones that are dead and he starts prophesying. And Ezekiel 37 riffs straight off um, the creation moment where the, the Ruach comes and starts bringing back life to these dead bones and they, they come back to life. And it's a, it's a vision of what God's going to do to the exiles and ultimately all humanity taking these dead dry bones that have no life and bringing wholeness to them. And the prophets also foretold a time when the spirit would come, that creation herself would be transformed. Mm. That in Isaiah 32, 15, which I don't have on the slides here, but it says here, till the spirit is poured out on high and the desert becomes a fertile field, the fertile field shall seem like a forest. Again, I will pour water on a thirsty land, streams on a dry ground. There was this connection between spirit, water, mm. life, mm. And that's important for us to understand as we jump into the New Testament. Yeah, so this incarnational power of the Spirit is most clearly and obviously seen in the incarnation of Jesus himself, the Anointed One, with Mary. Um, and in these passages here, Matthew 1 and Luke 1, um, we see this idea that the incarnation is so much more than just what has come before. Yeah, and in that Matthew 1.1, there's a deliberate riffing of Genesis, the Biblios Genosos Inosos Christel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In Genesis, Genesis is the only book that uses um, uh, genealogies. So in Greek, in the Greek translation of Genesis, it uses that Biblios Genosos. Mm. So this is the genealogy of. And Matthew is alluding to Jesus being a new creation. And... How does that happen? It's through Mary becoming pregnant. Now, what's interesting in Luke 1.35, we're told that the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mm. Jesus wasn't... I guess, I guess there was lots of stories around all the mythologies mm. about heroes who were born to a woman through a god. You know, Hercules and all that sort of type. And what, what would happen in that the God would take the form of a human or an animal and literally sleep with that woman and they would produce this half-human, half-divine hero like a Hercules or whoever. What happens here is that it's not the father that makes Mary pregnant. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm. And reading both Matthew and Luke, we're seeing here that it's talking on this creation language. It's the spirit, the Ruach, that's hovering over the waters at the beginning. And now the spirit, he is doing the same mm. thing once more. Mm. Yeah. And bringing in new life, a new hope, 
for God's people, a new creation, just as the prophets foresaw. So, as always, with these sessions, we're running a bit over time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, why don't we jump forward to Pentecost, which is mm. this really important moment in which the Holy Spirit comes in full power, in full force, and sort of brings in a new era of God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, so, the promise of the gospel was that the Spirit, he would come. And with the Spirit coming, there's obviously God's people being restored and all that. One of the cool things is that we are a new humanity. Many of us are probably familiar with the Tower of Babel story, building the giant tower to get into storming God's kingdom, essentially. And God interrupts up by confusing languages. Uh, we'll talk about this tomorrow directly about tongues and all that. But that moment at Pentecost where, where Luke describes all the Jews from all over the world coming together, and they can understand each other's languages. And that's the surprising part is that mm. God here through his spirits reversing the curse of Babel. Humanity was spread out. And that's part of Genesis 10. That was the curse was that humanity spread out of different languages and forming all different sort of religions and tribes and all that. Now we have a new humanity coming back. And it's God's spirit that does that. And Micah foresaw that day where many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. The Lord will grow up from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's this idea there. If you're not familiar, Jerusalem is a city. If you've been there, it's on a hill. And this idea of the nation streaming, Luke's pointing to it. This is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do when his son is ruling and reigning over this world. So as every single week during this Trinity series, we've been asking at the end, so what? What makes the Holy Spirit important as a part of the Trinity? And maybe even more helpfully, what would we miss if we either theologically or literally stripped the Holy Spirit out of a triune God? Mm. Well, firstly, we wouldn't actually have the new covenant. Jesus is the one to baptize us with the Holy Spirit to bring us wholeness to bring us new life. We would still be dead in our sins. Mm. Um, we would have no life with God. Mm. The Spirit is the one who, he, he connects us to God. Romans 8 talks about, hey, if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit's actually interceding for us, mm. moaning with these cries that can't be understood. The, the Spirit is there as our advocate. Mm. He is another comforter that mm. we have. Um, the Spirit, he's the one who gives us our giftings. He's the one that helps us. Paul says, classic passage in Galatians, Fruit of the Spirit? Mm. Where's that coming from? It's God's Spirit that's mm. enabling that. Mm. So, so even this idea of love, joy, peace, hope, this idea is that they are empowered through the Spirit yeah. and that even those beautiful godly characteristics that we show can only be fully realized when they're empowered through God's Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, that's it exactly. And I like to finish off with a bit of a verse. And the verse I thought for this week is that Paul says here in Galatians 4, 6, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Mm. That's, that's, I think that's a great way to finish this, is that in many ways doing Father, Son, Spirit across a week, it's actually not how the Bible presents God. No. We're, not, we're not meant to look at God as, oh, here's the parts of the Bible that talk about Father and Son. Mm. We're meant to see the interplay mm. of all three persons together. Mm. I think this sums it up beautifully, is we see here is that 
It is the 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 spirit that God sent out through mm. Jesus into mm. our hearts mm. that we can call God our Father. Mm. And that language of Abba, as we looked at a couple of weeks back, that was unusual for the Jews. You didn't pray in Aramaic. And the early church recognized that. You would only pray to God in Hebrew. Mm. So using Aramaic, a common language of the day, that was unusual. And the early church recognized it is revelation. That even those that couldn't speak Aramaic would still pray in it because yeah. that's how Jesus revealed his Father to us. Mm. Abba, Father, this deep, personal, intimate relationship. Mm. There's an author who I quite respect, Stephen Gunthrie, and he's written a book called Create a Spirit. And he says, the spirit makes us fully human. That's his role. At that moment of creation when God's ruach breathed life into Adam, there was a living thing, a human being. Mm. And for us to be image bearers of God fully, God's spirit needs to breathe within us again. Mm. to make us fully human. Mm. And so that's what we do miss out. Mm. We don't have the spirit Mm. in our lives. We cannot live in the image God created us to be in. The incarnational image. I love that. So good. Well, Mitch, as we close, would you like to lead us in a prayer to the Holy Spirit? And thank you, everyone, for indulging our little nerd out sessions for the last three weeks. We trust that these have been helpful for you. And theology isn't meant to be head knowledge. It's meant to be enacted. So my prayer is that after going through this, you will love God in a deeper way that will demonstrate your love to one another and the world that doesn't know Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Yes, Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that you live within us, that you are that other comforter that Jesus spoke about. Spirit, you're the one who empowers us for ministry, You're the one who walks alongside us when we're feeling alone, when we're feeling frightened. You're the one that enables us to live out in our spiritual giftings. You're the one that enables us to to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We give thanks that your Spirit coming, we are in those last days. We sing the signposts of the world that is to come when Jesus returns. We have no more pain, no more tears and no more suffering. And Spirit, we give you thanks that because you are living within us, we can call out to God, Abba, Father, and know that we are your children. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks for that. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Center Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.